All right, let's get started this morning. You can turn ahead to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll look there in just a moment. I want to introduce a new series. I promoted it a few weeks ago as greatest series ever in the history of Grace Bible Church. Some of you scoffed at me. Well, I might be overselling it a little bit. I don't know, but I'm excited about it. So I want to introduce this series. Uh, I'll have a word today, and then we'll have nine weeks ahead of us uh, in a study. It was the first year of the church, uh, 2006, May of 2006, we began the church. It was probably by that next spring, so right at the year mark, that I went to a church conference of sorts. It wasn't uh, the mass crowd attending lectures. It was more of a small crowd. Um, there were about 40 of us that I remember. And you, you went to a church and you just participated in all the elders meetings, uh, membership meetings, uh, behind the scenes kind of pastoral staff meetings, planning for the worship service. You sat through the services on Sunday. Uh, and then Sunday evening, they met for about an hour and a half and reviewed uh, everything that happened on that day with all of the coordinators of ministry and talked about how the services went. Um, they even picked at the sermon to see, you know, and there are people sitting there with the pastor saying, well, that one point seemed a little unclear, and, and they were just laying out all the pros and cons of everything so that they could do it better the next week. Um, the church was Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., uh, so I was staying at a hotel near, I don't know what they're, I don't know if it's Metro or what it's called there, um, and I checked in at the hotel, and I knew I had to get to the first event like on a Thursday night, so I asked the person at the desk. They knew where the church was, and it is, it is right there in the heart of D.C., uh, so they just told me you go about two blocks north when you get to the Supreme Court, you turn right and go six blocks on A Street, and there's this historic church from the 1800s that now is a thriving uh, gospel-preaching church. It was a pretty good-sized church. Uh, one, there aren't that many right in that area. Um, and with Washington, D.C. and all those offices and all kinds of interns and people coming and going every couple of years, uh, the church has a, a large uh, attendance and a lot of young people, a whole lot of 20s and 30s, uh, often involved in a lot of political uh, jobs and such. Uh, so probably 700 people easily at the time when I attended uh, there for that weekend. But what struck me and what was so effective about their like mini conference that they would do was that what they were doing with 700 people could be done on the exact same platform of their operation with 70 people or 17 people even. Uh, there was just nothing about this big church that, that said, oh, once you get to this size, you could have this or you could do it this way or you could have this program. Uh, it was fascinating to see a church that operated uh, much like the church I was a part of for years in Louisiana that was only a church of 50 or 60. 
uh, and didn't have a lot of programs and a lot, you know, a big budget or anything. Uh, so it was the first time really that probably it was settling in my mind that the difference between small and large churches isn't big money and big programs. Um, that doesn't have to be, you know, what distinguishes successful or large. Rather, any church of any size, if looking at the Bible, should be able to come up with ways in which to equip saints to do the work of the ministry in whatever context they're in. So the, the, the trip in many ways, that, that conference in many ways, was, um, was shaping or at least uh, awakening ideas that, that just made me kind of start thinking, okay, after, at that point in my life, 30 years, most of those years spent in churches, well over 500 people, um, a few of those years in Louisiana, 50 people, uh, most of my thinking was just kind of defaulting to, you know, you keep adding programs and you keep doing more and more stuff and more and more, you know, niche kind of ministry. Um, I was willing then to rethink all of that. And along with that, church program was also uh, theological uh, foundations. Uh, the leadership structure that I saw in this big church and a plurality of elders was uh, refreshing, uh, to say the very least, after some, you know, real, you know, interesting leadership events that I'd seen in churches here in the, in the Midwest. Um, out, out of that church, uh, when the pastor, Mark Dever, first came there in the 90s, uh, the church was basically all gray heads, as he would say, uh, older people, uh, that had been there a long time. The church was dying, had no theological roots, um, had a massive membership, but a large majority of those people had already died and been buried um, or hadn't attended there in years. Uh, so he, he started to lead this congregation uh, into thinking more deeply about what the church should be. Uh, and what began as a newsletter and a series of articles became a series of sermons, and eventually that was put together in a book, uh, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. Um, that nine marks became kind of a, a church resource center, so that now ninemarks.org is a very church-centered um, ministry of their church to other churches. Um, so there's even a a nine marks map, and we've had many people now visit our church because they recognize nine marks has, has some kind of biblical foundation. They're really serious about going to the Bible to see how a church should be defined. So people will go to that map when they're moving to a city or visiting a city, and they'll find churches that generally say, yeah, we, we're kind of on board with that approach, and that gets them in the ballpark at least. Uh, so people have visited here knowing, okay, Grace Bible Church is probably something like we'll be looking for. There's, there's a good handful of churches in Kansas City that would be on that nine marks map and some that probably could be that are good churches and may not be on that map, um, which is a good reminder to us we're not the only ones uh, thinking that we've got it all together. Uh, a lot of churches are gathering this morning striving to be in some by some definition, a healthy church. So I had read this book in that first kind of into the second year of our church. Um, a number of 
our men had read it. A number of you have probably seen it. It's, this is uh, maybe the second edition, 10 years into his ministry. There was a uh, third and now a fourth edition as he's been there almost 30 years. Um, and uh, this book then, uh, helpful to me in those early years in shaping, okay, how are we going to define success in this church plant that we were a part of? And I think even now today it's going to be helpful for us as we walk through this book. Nine marks of a healthy church, uh, it, that's not some magical number, that's not a biblical concept. We're not into numerology and thinking whatever the number nine means to you, that's, this book carries some kind of significance. No, he just, he just kind of was concerned about elements in that congregation that needed attention and it ended up being nine. Um, in the introduction, he talks about taking some flack from some really you know, big-name preachers that were his friends uh, like, where is prayer? How come that's not one of the nine marks? Or where is missions? How can missions not be a part of the nine marks of a healthy church? And he has a reasonable defense that, hey, I, I just preached a series and the things that we felt we needed to address shaped the book. Well, years later now, they've rearranged a few of those ideas, combined a couple, added a few others, but have maintained the, the number nine uh, and the nine marks. So, what we're going to be looking at is the most recent compilation of nine marks, which now includes prayer and missions, uh, without eliminating any of the original themes in the book. Uh, nine works well uh, for them, but let me just give you a, a smattering of examples um, that he lists in one of his appendices. Uh, he calls it the numerical 90s and beyond. In the 90s, with so much of the church growth movement, uh, ways and methodologies and programs uh, became huge. I could read a bunch of these. There's probably at least 30 or so. I'll just give you a taste. Twelve central characteristics of an effective church. Marks of an effective church. Ten critical achievable goals for the 90s. Ten things successful, user-friendly churches don't do. Seven vital steps to create a healthy blend of effectiveness and faithfulness. Eleven factors of dying churches revived or restored to wholeness. These are all either books or articles that were written. Thirteen principles of church growth. Twelve signs of a more pure church. Eight characteristics of highly effective churches. Twelve principles for prophetic ministry. Nine surprising trends that can benefit your church. A healthy church avoiding and curing the nine diseases that can afflict any church. Seven megatrends happening in congregations. Seven steps to transform your church. Twelve components of total church life strategy. And on and on it goes. Just all these lists of how churches were measured. What we find when we look at church history is that marks of a church, criteria for a healthy church, um, definitions of a church ha have been common in church history. And actually, it was the Reformation that really brought about an awakening of trying to identify what the church is. Because Rome had kind of cornered the market on what a church should be. And so they just kind of 
claimed outright that their way of doing church defined the only true church. Well, Luther especially threw open the door of criticism of the church, uh, and, and rightly so. Not just some, you know, angry, you know, cranky kind of church member, but rightly criticizing what was going on in the church. Well, the very nature of that criticism that Luther probably first championed, but even in, we could argue, more scholarly or articulate ways, Calvin would echo, um, that criticism, in essence, demanded that we talk in the language of identifying marks. Because if we're going to say, no, that's not the true church, we need some grounds by which to measure, well, what is a true church? And so the Reformation, with its light of truth being shown into the darkness, was an awakening in, in so many contexts to what does the Bible say about, in this case, the true church? And so lists, marks, criteria began to flow, especially out of the Reformation, though you find it uh, before. But even the earliest confession, the Augsburg Confession, which came out of Luther's backyard, um, used the word marks of a church because they realized they were in a battle to define biblically what a church should be. And we're still doing that today. Um, Churches will still uh, seek to define what is the true church. Or what's the threshold you have to cross to become a church? Uh, There are uh, a lot of people that gather in house churches. uh, And the question often posed to them is, well, when does it become a church? You know, we all know in the context of Matthew 18, yes, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in their midst. But is is that a church just because two or three gather? Um, and historically, we, we could look through what the church has said, and biblically, we could find marks that would qualify when is a gathering a church. That's a good thing to do. So in no way would we say that all those lists in his book, oh, that's a bad idea, that's all just kind of church growth nonsense. No, there is something right about coming to the Bible and saying, well, I think a church should be this. Uh, I think it should look like this. I think it should practice this. Um, so that's, that's what we're getting at with nine marks of a healthy church. Uh, we're not trying to uh, say that nine is the magic number and this and no more is the church. We're just saying, here's a good start of ideas to be thinking on if you're trying to evaluate the church. So the criteria for the true church uh, is... Is a, is a good thing. The author, Mark Dever, though, describes nine marks of a healthy church. So I want to get your feedback here and ask you, why is healthy a good word choice uh, for evaluating church? Why is healthy uh, a good word? You know, you heard some of those other words, effective, faithful, Uh, those could be good words too. Why would healthy make a good choice? Jane? So healthy uh, is is connected to the idea of life, uh, whether sick or on the spectrum, well. So 
healthy there suggests living and also that spectrum of health. Um, just like all of us in here, if we were going to share, you know, all of our bodily woes, we would all have something that puts us on this spectrum of, you know, generally healthy. I mean, I'm bothered by this or nagged by that. Others of you would be like, I'm barely held together. I'm at the other end. Uh, but we all understand that. So healthy becomes a good word when we're thinking life and wellness. What else, Jared? So it doesn't imply a one-size-fits-all mindset. Uh, There again, which was kind of what my eyes were open to, 700, or our church plant was about 70 at the time, and it's like, wow, size doesn't matter. These principles can apply to to any church. Uh, So there's a good way of thinking of it. What else? John, and then Katie. So there's a warning that John is suggesting that just to have it in the back of our minds, even if we feel, feel we're not there, that it could become a checklist in a sense. And we just think if we're doing certain things, if we can point to some kind of missions program, great, check that box, and we're, we're, we must be healthy. Well, not necessarily, because any of these marks should be flowing out of the first great commandment, loving God with all our heart, soul, and mind. And because of that very organic you know, relationship, uh, because of that life, you see the signs of health. So let, let these marks be signs of health. So if you, if you have a plant growing, you know, I've got a couple of plants in my office, and they were given to me with great wisdom because I could probably kill about any plant I've ever owned. And somehow these two thrive despite my ineptitude at, you know, planting and keeping things alive. Um, but you can start seeing signs if the leaves are starting to wither or turn yellow or fall off. Uh, you know, it, you start thinking, wait a minute, that, that sign is telling me something. Well, There are times when our bodies may look good on the outside, and on the inside, there may be something very wrong. So we just want to make sure that we're not just identifying the to-do list, the function, and missing the the life that produces that functioning, something like that. Talk to John if if you have uh, questions about what I'm saying. Uh, Caitlin, what thoughts did you have on health?
I like that because if we're going to talk about marks of a healthy church and think healthy is a good word choice, then it probably should have some kind of biblical foundation. Um, otherwise, it's just a catchy opinion of an author on a word that works. But it really is a biblical word. When you study 1 Corinthians 12 especially, there is right there for us the life of the church in the language of a physical body. Uh, Your body with all of its parts, inward and outward, working together. That's the picture of the church. So we are right to think of the church in realms of health because of this body analogy. Think of how much conversation in the week you will have about your body, Uh, especially if it's a week with a couple of appointments or a week that you're really, you know, feeling lousy. And after a couple years of health to the max in everywhere we turn, we understand talking about health of the body. So if that's a biblical analogy of the church, then it's right for us to think about the health of the body of Christ. Roy? Well, it's at least a blending of, of illustrations. You know, the parable of the wheat and the tares. Yes, in, in what's called the church, the visible church, there are going to be those who profess faith in Christ and aren't believers. But Jesus' words to us are wise in showing us, I, I, don't, I don't have to pass ultimate judgment on everyone and know. Um, all I can do is look at fruit. So, yes, I don't have to try to weed them out. That will certainly be taken care of on the Day of Judgment. In the body analogy, I think, uh, and somebody, somebody help me here, doesn't Paul even address dealing with, I'm thinking of the old English that I would have memorized, like the canker or uh, disease? What am I thinking of there, anyone? Somebody help. Somebody search on your phone real quick. Uh, right, I'm trying to think of the reference and, and how it might read. Um, so I think in the body analogy, yes, there may be those who aren't believers, but I think, I think it's more maybe of the false teaching, Don, you're saying, um, that w- would be cut out, much like having surgery and they do a biopsy and realize oh, we're going in and cutting that out like that you you can't have that in you um so cancer you know the, the old old canker uh all that would i think remind us that there are times when we do need to maybe think of what it means to remove from the body first uh, corinthians 5 would be even casting out or removing the leaven that leavens the whole lump and the process of uh, church discipleship and in its extreme church discipline. I don't know. What do you think, Lord? Right, in the big picture, uh, that's definitely the case. Um,
So it's, it's just different ideas, whether it's the wheat and the tares, the leaven and the lump, the parts of the body. They all have their strengths in communicating something, but we're not saying, even in, the, uh, in, I, in knowing that there are unbelievers among us, the Bible wouldn't call them a member of the body. They're not the toe or the, the ear in Corinthians there. That, that is those who have uh, been brought into the body by the Spirit of God, so they are really the body. We, we don't amputate them. We never, we never amputate parts of the body. That's not how it works. Um, so the body analogy is serving us in this idea of health, um, or at least giving us a foundation for using that word health, um, and those other examples of leaven and wheat and tares are helpful in understanding both doctrine and the unbelievers that could be in the church. Yeah, so two, two caught up in false teaching, um, and, and their, their influence, their word would eat away like a canker, like a cancer cells amassing in your body and attacking your liver or something. That, that's not good. They're going to have to deal with that. Um, so this idea of healthy does reflect, as Caitlin mentioned, uh, a biblical concept. Um, building on that, Jane said that health speaks to life and even the spectrum of illness to wellness. And then, if that's the case... This word healthy also would suggest a process of diagnosis. Because if you don't feel well and you feel you're too far down the spectrum towards sickness, it raises concern and so you go to someone who is able to diagnose. And based on kind of the standard of what the human body should be at its optimum, they can say, boy, your levels don't match or your blood work is deficient here or you know, your bones are deteriorating or your muscle isn't rebuilding rightly, whatever the, the issue is, they diagnose. And so in saying nine marks of a healthy church, the author is implying that there is some way to diagnose health and hopefully then with our physical bodies because God's given us dominion over the earth and, you know, somehow we've developed medicines and everything else to help, uh, we can steer that body towards wellness. We can fight off some of these diseases. Um, And so it is in the church. Uh, God's given us truth, and by that truth, we can steer the church towards greater health uh, through this diagnosis process. So, of two purposes... Uh, for this series, here is the first. This series of the nine marks is about evaluating the health of the church. Not every church you've ever been in, though you might have plenty in your mind to think on from past experience, comparisons, uh, the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, that's fine, but our, our concern really isn't looking back and, oh, when I was at that church, it was a... No, our concern is right now. Uh, what is... Uh, the health of our church. And even that raises a question, because if we were saying we are evaluating Grace Bible Church, then we need to define the church. So what are we really saying when we say we're going to evaluate Grace Bible Church by some helpful marks of a healthy church? What is the church? 
It's John. John's going to take responsibility. We're going to value. Oh, us. Oh, oh. yeah. So the collective us is the church, um, but by collective we mean it's the parts and the sum of the parts. It's both. You, you don't have the idea of the church without the individual, but the individual is not the church. So it's a fascinating blend of evaluation that's going to happen. It's going to be Grace Bible Church. How are we doing based on this suggestion of marks of a healthy church. But ultimately, what that's going to mean is, how am I doing when I hear nine marks of a healthy church? And an overemphasis of either one can kind of get you into the wrong kind of evaluation, but there is a way in that both have to be evaluated. The the wholeness of the body, uh, but also the parts that make up that sum. So we're evaluating the church um, as a whole. But I want you to also evaluate how you are contributing to the church's health in each area. Uh, and I think in Ephesians 4, if you're there, we see this language of progress, of growth, of health. Beginning in verse 11, he, speaking of Christ, who descended to earth to accomplish his mission and then ascended back to heaven. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may be no longer children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There's all kinds of goals and objectives we could pull out of that one paragraph. It seems like Paul, under inspiration, labors to help us understand there is a way to measure the church. Uh, There is a responsibility to evaluate yourself in contributing to the church and the church as a whole. And so every other phrase seems to be another expression of a goal or an objective. There's the equipping objective, the building up of the body, the attaining of unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God. There's a goal of maturity. There's a goal of measuring up to the stature of the fullness of Christ. There's the goal of not being tossed about by all the crazy ideas that the world's going to have and that the church will tend to adopt. There's the goal of sound doctrine. There's the goal of speaking the truth in love, growing up, the whole body joined and held together, every part contributing, growing up, building itself up in love. There's all these words that just fall into this demand for evaluation. Are we doing that? 
Are we equipping saints? Are we building up? Is there a unity of faith? And on and on through that list, the language begs measurement and evaluation. How can you have the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ and not think there is some kind of evaluation that should take place in light of that? There's great news here. This is incredibly helpful to know that imperfect people, by God's grace, are brought together in a body, and it really can build itself up in love. As one falters, they're there to help that one and and restore them. When someone else falters, they're there to restore them. It's a great hope for people that struggle week to week with our anger and our frustration and our lust and our pride and everything else. But the reality is there's a great responsibility. Are you contributing to the health of the church when Corinthians demands that we accept God's word when it says every one of us has been equipped by the Spirit for the common good. You withdraw that common good, and there is a hole there. The body is suffering and not at optimal health because you aren't feeling the responsibility of being a part of the church. But this will fly in the face of the consumerism of especially the American church, the American evangelical church, the American evangelical, solidly theological, you know, whatever other boast we want to put there, church. We, we tend to get sucked into that mindset that the church should be doing everything that pleases me, that I like. I should like every song and every message and every family that joins. And, and, and that's just not the case. Uh, it's not all about you. So... There's this incredible weight of responsibility to know that I'm supposed to be a giver to the church and not just a getter from the church. And so uh, the first purpose then is for us to evaluate by this helpful standard, nine marks of a healthy church, the health of Grace Bible Church. This study should be like the workplace evaluation at the end of the year. Some of you have been through those. Uh, Some of you have had to do those for employees that are under your watch. It'd be like an annual physical, you know, getting your blood work done when you turn 50 or something. Uh, Like your report card. If you went to school, came home with the report card, there it was. It was the evaluation of how the last couple of months went after... Now, 15 years of first looking at the book, uh, maybe it's time again to do a little uh, self-evaluation. But Ephesians 4 also holds for us the second purpose of this study, and it's there in verse 11 and 12. Christ gave these gifts to the church, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. This series, secondly, is about exploring and equipping other gifts in our church body. So here's what's unique about our study. The elders have selected nine men to study and present the nine marks. So a different man is going to present each of the different marks of the healthy church. Uh, Now, from a larger list of men, ultimately started with all the men in the church, um, Prayerfully considered nine, because that's how many chapters we had to cover. 
And so we consider just whether personal conversations with men, men who may be served in their small group, or men who have kind of had a voice in the men's forum. Um, so some kind of practical considerations, and then really just asking the Lord to give us nine men that would fill the gap here and be willing to step up here and share truth. Um, and so that's what we did, and each of those nine accepted the invitation to, to serve you with really a survey of that chapter, but as much as it is biblical then to be sharing with us the biblical truth about that particular mark of a healthy church. Um, so in having nine different speakers, I want to say this, first of all, this is an exploration, all right? We are exploring and seeking to equip gifts in the body. Uh, this is kind of new territory for us. Uh, we've relied mostly on one teaching pastor. We haven't had really building space for multiple adult classrooms. That's why we want to turn our attention to that metal building next door this summer and, and begin shaping that for a little bit more usefulness. Volleyball is great over there, but we probably need a few more classrooms and, and get some people teaching and using their gifts in the body. Uh, so this is kind of a, a threshold that we're crossing over thinking, okay, what would it look like if we actually asked God to show us other gifts in the church? And maybe there aren't other teaching gifts, but I, I, I just kind of don't think that's probably true. Um, I think there, there are gifts in the body that even if they're not podium teaching, lecturing gifts, as some of these nine men have already articulated, there are gifts of communicating the word. It might just be in the circle of the small group or at the lunch table of discipleship during the week. Um, and so this is an exploration. In faith, we are asking God to show us, are, are, we, are we missing any gifts? Teaching gifts, leadership gifts, administrative gifts. Uh, and this is just one of the spheres of that exploration. Uh, there's going to be more of that. Uh, as we consider the truth of every, every member of the body is designed for the good of the body. So, okay, what do you have to offer in discipleship efforts moving forward, which may look like just lunch with somebody? Don't be surprised if somebody would ask you, what do you think you could contribute to the body of Christ here? you may not have wrestled with that because we defaulted perhaps to that idea of I come and attend and I listen and I vote like or dislike as I go home. Sermon, like, uh, special music, uh, kind of a dislike this week. And you know how it is. You evaluate all that. But what about you? What, what did you bring? What are you offering to the body? It's an exploration. However, it is not an experiment Okay, it's not a, well, this doesn't have any grounds biblically, but let's just try this crazy notion. No, the notion of having godly men share truth is a good idea. Uh, the, the house church that we spoke at, um, that I spoke at, our family went to a couple of Sundays ago in the afternoon. Like-minded believers, theologically, they understand the church, uh, they, they won't despise us for having a church building, even though they meet in the house. Um, but they recognize that, that it's good for the men in their little body to share truth. 
It doesn't have to be a 30-minute sermon, um, but there should be spiritual depth being developed that they can talk about spiritual things. So this isn't some crazy experiment. We're saying that regardless of gifting being revealed or developed, because you might say, well, I don't know if I see a gift of teaching there. Okay, it might not be a great revelation to us all of their gifts. Uh, And one time in a Sunday school may not be the sum total of development of a gift. But regardless of how those men's gifts are being revealed or developed, you will be hearing truth. And that's a good thing, to hear truth from spiritually minded men. I think that's good for the church. I think it's good to see that the teaching pastor doesn't have the monopoly on truth. I'm glad if you appreciate the teaching ministry here. I'm glad if you come to me and want to seek counsel for something, or, hey, what do you think about this? Or, I read this. What do you think? Um, that, that's perfectly in the realm of biblical normalcy. But what's abnormal is to think that the men that sit in the pew and primarily are not in a pulpit somehow don't have any requirement to have godly wisdom that applies to everyday life so that you could go and ask them the same questions. Uh, So it's good to see that there isn't just one person who studies the scripture and can give biblical answers. If you have the spirit of God in you, if you're a believer, then you, according to Romans 15, should be entrusted to admonish one another and to have the wisdom that helps. I think it'll be good for the next generation to see manhood demonstrated. I'm thrilled to have men stand up before our church and let the next generation see, oh, wait a minute. It's not only the guy that we see every Sunday that loves the word and is going to try to teach it. There are men all through this church that are going to, one, make sure that guy gets it right, and two, are going to try to get it right in their own families. They're going to see a manhood that isn't just sit and soak. So I I think this is a great opportunity for the next generation to see, wait a minute, the church should be made up of godly adults that speak freely about the word and they ask questions and they acknowledge weaknesses and they seek help from one another. So these men aren't perfect, no more than I'm going to stand in the pulpit this morning as a perfect man. But what we're trying to communicate is here, as Christians, we're supposed to be striving for godliness. And if we're doing that, there are going to be gifts that edify the church and it's going to reshape the way we think about one another. We're going we're to start breaking down hierarchies. And this is in no way buying into any kind of critical theory. I'm not saying, oh, yeah, let's be done with that hierarchy of spiritual leadership. No, I'm saying let's be done with the, the, the gap in our minds between somehow leadership in the church and people in the pew. Let's recognize, no, the Berean Christians were able to say, hey, Paul, that's great. Uh, but let me check that with the word. Let me make sure that's accurate. You know, I don't trust you. I trust the truth of God's word. Uh, And that is something that that all of us can do. And I think a glimpse of some other faces and some men who have exercised themselves on behalf of the church to study and and to share with you uh, this mark of a healthy church 
and with you and us together to say, how are we doing in that? Uh, This will be a good thing. So our plan is for the next nine weeks to hear from nine different men about the nine marks of a healthy church. Expositional preaching. Uh, Jared Jennings is going to set me straight, right, on expositional preaching. Make sure we're getting that right. I'm going to enjoy giving these guys a lot of grief. Uh, This is going to be fun to just sit and listen, I think. Uh, Gospel doctrine, uh, Ethan Elgin. Conversion and evangelism, Mark Du Bois. Church membership, Aaron Goings. Church discipline, Daniel Moorhead. Discipleship and growth, Randy Maglinger. Uh, Church leadership, uh, Chris Lawatch. Prayer, uh, Alan Heaney. And missions, uh, Dave Caldwell. So, uh, pray. Pray for these men as they prepare. Uh, Several of them have expressed, hey, I'm willing to do this. Whew, but, you know, that's, I don't do this much. So there, there's going to be some nervousness. Um, pray that God will kind of push that aside and they'll just stand here and share truth and really just kind of cheer the church on. Hey, how can we do better here? Uh, so pray for them as they prepare. Pray for increased health of this local church and of your spiritual walk because of this exercise. It, it, it's not just like, oh, this will be neat to have nine different people. That'll be fun. I wonder how he's going to present. That's all great, but the goal, remember, is we're evaluating our health so that we can grow and change. So there's, a, there's this incredible excitement that says, we're going to go through this nine weeks, and hopefully the next nine months is going to be, wow, look at how we can do better here and here and here. And where are those gifts of the saints that we can equip to do all of that improvement? Uh, so pray for increased health. And then let me just encourage you to be here for each of the nine studies. I'll mention that to the others that meet with us in the next hour. Uh, commit. You know, obviously, I know you're going on vacation. We had to rearrange the nine marks. They're not going to be in order because all these guys have their vacation times and such, too. I understand if you can't be here, but... Maybe more than even normal, commit to the next nine weeks, the Sunday school hour, uh, and ask God to use these other voices uh, to speak truth to you. So, Heavenly Father, thank you for Ephesians 4 and the rest of your word that reminds us of your great purpose and love for the church, your church, the church that was purchased by the blood of Christ. We long to give glory to you by the way that we function in this world. Uh, We want to be a pure church, a healthy church. Uh, So use this church and this pastor, his book, to guide us in our thinking towards evaluation. Uh, Show us our weaknesses personally and as a body. And by your grace and for your glory, steer us to greater health. Bless these men as they study and prepare for the coming weeks. Uh, Use them. uh, Give them peace of mind and courage that comes from your truth. Open our minds to hear. Uh, May we not only recognize different styles of teaching, but may we thrive under them. 
uh, and appreciate the differences. Uh, Help us all to grow. We receive your gifts in this church with thanksgiving, recognizing that all of them are designed to magnify the head of this body, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.